Welcome to Every Moment His, a podcast dedicated to how God's preached word affects every moment of our daily lives. This sermon was preached by Pastor John Rasmussen at Holy Cross Lutheran Church. Well, grace, mercy, and peace to each and every one of you, beloved by God, in the name of Jesus, amen. Would you please pray with me as we prepare to hear God's word? Gracious Father, we believe that these words we are about to read and meditate on are not simply human words, but words inspired by your spirit for the benefit and building up of your church. And so, Father, we humble ourselves before these words, and we pray that your Holy Spirit would use them to build us up, to strengthen us, to edify us, to renew our minds, that we might be able as a church to offer ourselves up as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to you, in Jesus' name, amen. So let's open up to Romans chapter 12. We are uh, definitely opening, uh, entering into a new section here where Paul is basically taking uh, what we've learned about what God has done for us in Christ through his mercy and showing us how this is applied in our daily lives as Christians. Uh, so Romans chapter 12, And before we get into our text today, I want to take a, <clears throat> a brief look at chapter 12, verses 1 through 2, because these verses are going to really help us understand what comes afterwards today. And so let's just look at it here, verses 1 through 12. We read this last week. Paul says in verse 1, he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Now, to understand the full impact of what Paul is getting at here, you have to actually go back to chapter one because in chapter one, we had this uh, description of fallen humanity, of, of the world gone astray from God. And so in chapter one, verses 24 through 32, we get this long description by the Apostle Paul saying that before we were in Christ, while we were uh, alone and without hope in this world, estranged from God, we were people with debased minds who were defiling our own bodies. And so you have bodies and minds in rebellion against God. But from there, we saw how the great mercy of God met us in that sin, in that brokenness and rebellion, scooped us up out of it by the mercy of God shown in Christ. We saw that we've been justified, we've been declared not guilty, we've been made right with God, we've been baptized, we've been filled with the Holy Spirit, we've been reconciled. And so now on the other side of that, we no longer have debased minds and defiled bodies, but now we have minds that are being renewed and bodies that are being offered up in sacrifice to God of praise. You see that how far we've come? And this has all been done by the mercy and the grace of God. 
So in verses 1 through 2 of chapter 12, Paul wants you and me as individuals to think differently about the way we use our minds and the way we use our bodies, that we would offer them up in praise to God to be renewed and sanctified. But now to think about what it looks like for us corporately together as the body of Christ, the church, to offer ourselves up as a community, whereas today we're going to see what it looks like to be renewed and offer ourselves up as a sacrifice to God as a community. And so as we read Romans 12, 3 through 8, let's have the church in mind, the body of Christ in mind. And we're going to talk about three ways that Paul wants us to think differently about the body of Christ and our role in it. So let's read those verses together. Verses 3 through 8, I want you to look for two words. The first word is grace and the second word is faith. You might want to underline those because they'll be important. Uh, Those are big words in Romans we've seen thus far, but we'll see them come up again in verses 3 through 8. So Paul says, verse 3, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes with generosity, the one who leads with zeal, and the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So the first point I want you to see today in the text is that Paul is helping us to think differently about our place in the church. Paul wants us to think about our place in the church with humility rather than pride. And so Paul says, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. You know, Paul understands human nature. He knows that even though we are forgiven sinners, The sinful nature may impose itself on the Christian community. It may flex itself a little bit among the church. We might think about ourselves more highly than we ought. This is, for example, what the disciples were doing in our gospel reading, where they were arguing about who's the greatest. It's kind of a perennial problem that we experience in the church. As forgiven sinners, we are often in competition with one another. In fact, the the world that Paul wrote to, the Roman Greek world, one of the things that they prized in their society was status, honor. And I think we have that quite a bit in our culture as well. I think that's, you know, what a lot of social media is about. It's kind of a status, like, look at me and all my best moments, right, that we've arrived. Um, Not always, but that can certainly be something that's going on there. There's this great emphasis on status and honor and lifting oneself up above others in the Roman world. 
And that can sometimes get into the church. So something to think about today is how might this kind of attitude get into our church at Holy Cross? I can think of a couple examples. We might think too highly of ourselves because we've just been here a long time. You know, maybe we could say, I'm a charter member. I've been here as long as this church has been a church. Or maybe I've been here for decades. And so we may begin to think of ourselves more highly than those who are maybe new here, who are faces that we have not seen as often because they're new. Or we might be part of a family that's been here for generations. And so maybe this is where grandma and grandpa went to church, mom and dad went to church, and I go to church, and my kids go to church. And that's a beautiful, good thing. Don't get me wrong. It's a wonderful thing when you've been in the same church for 50, 60, 70 years. That's a rare blessing. It's a beautiful thing. And it's a beautiful thing when you have three to four generations gathering and worship together. That's a beautiful, blessed thing. We've got to be careful because sometimes we might get a little complacent and we might kind of think highly of ourselves, more highly than those who have not been here as long. That would be sort of like the uh, Jewish people in the Roman church saying, yeah, these Gentiles, they're latecomers to the game. But, you know, the Jews, we've been here for millennia. Like, this is kind of our deal. This is our story. And Gentiles, you guys are just kind of add-ons. We'll let you in, but... Just always know that we're the ones who run the show here. Um, that, that attitude may have gotten into the Roman church, and it also can get into our church. Another way that we might think too highly of ourselves is because of our knowledge or our gifting. You know, we may show up to Bible class and realize we really know the Bible, and, and maybe we know it better than other people. And we might kind of, you know, put that out there so that people see that we really know what we're talking about. Uh, or we might be really gifted for service, and maybe we have a, a gift that's kind of a front and center gift. Maybe it's a gift that involves speaking or leading or serving in a role, and we might use that giftedness or that role to kind of think, maybe even subconsciously, like, hey, I'm kind of a big deal, and people should respect me for that reason. But really, Paul wants to orient us towards an attitude of humility, that we're not part of the church because of our giftedness. We're not part of the church because of our knowledge. Rather, we are a part of this community by grace through faith. That's the whole theme of Romans, right? By grace through faith. And so grace and faith is not something we just leave behind in Romans 1 through 8. It's going to continue to weave itself through the way that we live together as Christians. See, Paul calls us to each think about ourselves with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. And there's once again those two words that evoke humility and sober judgment about ourselves. The first word is that word highlighted grace. Paul says, by the grace given to me, I say to everyone. Now there's a lot underneath what Paul's saying here. Paul, perhaps, has maybe a high occasion, an opportunity for, for pride because he's an apostle. I mean, Paul wrote like one-third of the New Testament, and he is the apostle to the Gentiles, and Paul's gifted, and, and, and Paul is zealous, and, and Paul is laboring, planting, and building churches. 
you know, there could be a temptation there for Paul to think more highly of himself, but you'll, you'll notice that I think Paul's thought about this, and he thought, I got to have a sober opinion of myself because of grace. Because think about Paul's story. Was it not an act of sheer grace that Paul was even allowed to be a part of the church? What was Paul doing before he came to Jesus? He was persecuting the church. In fact, when Paul first became a Christian, the church was like, are you sure about that? <laughs> We're still kind of scared of you, Paul. Um, but God's grace, his overwhelming, abundant grace caught up with Paul. And even when, when Paul was persecuting the very body of Christ, Jesus said, you're mine. And so Paul could never boast. No matter what God accomplished through him, he could never boast. He looked at himself with sober judgment. In fact, elsewhere, Paul says, hey, guys, I'm actually the least of the apostles. I'm just happy to be here. And so that same grace that called Paul is the same grace that called us to be a part of the community of God. And so we can never have pride. The next word is faith. Paul talks about each believer having a measure of faith. You know, you get the idea of, of God's just passing out, doling out faith to his people, and that we are given that faith not to boast, but to rejoice in Christ. Well, we've learned in Romans that this faith that we have, this attachment that we have to God by faith, is not our own doing. It's a gift that God has worked in us by his Holy Spirit and not by our own will or choice. It's been given to us by grace. And, and so this faith that we've been given calls us to have a humble opinion of ourselves. Because faith is the great equalizer. All people... Jew and Gentile, male and female, those with impressive public gifts and those with hidden gifts in the body of Christ, those with the seemingly ordinary gifts are all part of God's family by faith alone. And so there's no boasting. I mean, if we've learned anything in Romans thus far, we should probably have learned that there's no boasting before God because our salvation is accomplished by grace through faith in Christ alone. And so... That is what causes us to think about ourselves with humility. So how do we think rightly about our place in the church? I'm just happy to be here. That's the way we should, we should approach it. Uh, a, a friend of ours who's a, a poet in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, um, uh, Tanner Olson, he has this quote that he, he has passed around on the internet and on a t-shirt uh, that says, just happy to be here. And, and what he means by that is we often take life for granted. We often show up to life, uh, you know, just ungrateful. And so we ought to have this posture of life every day that, hey, I'm just glad to be here. And isn't that the way that we ought to approach our life in the church? That I'm just glad I get to be here. Because none of us are here because we deserve to be. It's all by grace through faith in Christ. And so we treasure with humility, that place that God's given us in the community. The second point is this. Paul wants us to think about ourselves as a member connected to other members in the body of Christ. He says in verse 4 and 5, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ 
and individually members of one another. So Paul wants us to think differently about the church. And to do that, he points out this image of a human body with many different interdependent parts. So we, though many, are one body in Christ. You know, often when we think about this body of Christ language from the New Testament and the many members, we might think that this is Paul referring to the whole church. And so when we talk about the body of Christ and its many members and gifts and roles, we might think all Christians, Christians in Kearney, Christians in China, Christians everywhere. That's true, but it's not really what Paul's talking about. When Paul uses the language of the body and its members, he's talking about a local congregation like us. He's talking about the church in Rome as a body. He's talking about the church in Corinth as a body or the church in Ephesus as a body. He's talking about Holy Cross Lutheran Church as a body of believers, each member with a different role. He's saying that the people who are part of the same local congregation should see each other as interconnected, interdependent, and even inseparable. Now, that's kind of a countercultural thought for us in the church in America. I'd say it really goes against the grain of our individualism. You see, the living of the Christian life is not a solo thing. A Christianity without the bodily presence of other Christians is like a Christianity without a Bible, without preaching, without baptism, and without the Lord's Supper. Let me just say that again because this might be a new thought for us because we're, we're so individualistic in our culture. A Christianity without the bodily presence of other Christians is like a Christianity without a Bible, without preaching, without baptism, and without the Lord's Supper. Being a Christian is very much an in-the-body thing. The body of Christ is designed to be together. I would also say this, that seeing ourselves as members of one another cuts against the consumer attitude that we often have toward the church in America. Um, this is something I've, I've observed in particular in Kearney, because in Kearney we have so many churches, and um, other pastors and I from different denominations have gotten together to kind of talk about this. This is kind of a big problem in Kearney, is that one of the things that we do is we kind of go church shopping. We just kind of church shop and church hop, and so we see people just kind of moving around continually and never really putting down roots. So we may drift from a church, and we may worship elsewhere. Now, there may be good reasons to change congregations, like, for example, if you move to a different city, right? That'd be a good reason. Um, don't keep your membership at Holy Cross if you live in, like, you know, Missouri or something. You transfer your membership to a new church. Find a new community of believers. Or if we uh, realize that our church is not faithfully teaching and preaching God's word, that would be a reason to eventually change a congregation. But more often than not, the reason that people change churches is because of a consumer attitude to the body of Christ. Rather than seeing our relationships that we have with other Christians as sacred and durable, 
we treat those relationships as expendable. So one of the reasons people might change churches is because, well, there's a new pastor, or maybe we have a vacancy for a while. But church isn't about the pastor. Church is about the people. It's about the people together. Pastors come and go, but those relationships that people have in the body of Christ are meant to be sacred and durable, not expendable. We may change churches because we're avoiding conflict or because we're experiencing disappointment or disillusionment with our Christian community, when in fact God intends to use those very experiences of disappointment and conflict to shape us into greater maturity and growth. Friends, we miss opportunities to grow when we just walk away from those opportunities to resolve conflict. Our relationship to one another in a congregation ought to be like the crock pot that your grandparents bought in 1950. Anybody, anybody have one of those crock pots? There's a, yeah, you got one. I, there's a, a lady uh, shut in that I used to visit in my former congregation. And sometimes in the afternoon when I'd go visit her, she would have the crock pot on. And she said, Pastor, I've had that crock pot since I got married in 1952 and it still works. And I'm like, wow, because I got a crock pot three years ago and it broke. Uh, it just doesn't work. And that's really the way that our relationships are, are to be in the church, like that old school crock pot. It just endures and it keeps working instead of the one that breaks uh, after about three or four years. Or another way to think about our relationships in the body of Christ would be this. Anybody remember this toy? I don't even know if they still make this, but hours of fun in the late 80s and early 90s. I think it even goes back to the 70s, right? Some of you grew up playing with these. Uh, also easy to step on, right, as parents, those little pegs. But sometimes we might approach Christian community kind of like Lightbright, where you can put those pegs in and they can be part of the picture, but it's just easy to take those pegs out. It takes little to no effort to just move them from one board to another. And that's the way sometimes we treat our relationship with the body of Christ. It's easy just to pull up and go to another place. But I would say that, that Paul is encouraging us to have a relationship in the body of Christ that's more like perler beads. This is the thing that my kids were into for about two years, and so this is the thing we were vacuuming up all the time, is perler beads. It's wonderful when they all just spread on the floor and you have to pick them up. You find them in all kinds of places. But perler beads, basically, uh, you, you put them in these arrangements very carefully, but then you take a hot iron and you run that iron over it for about 30 seconds, and what you get are these little glued-together toys, keychains and, and little figurines and stuff. And, and so I would say that our relationship with one another in the church is not to be like light bright, where you just you know, easily take it out and put someplace else but rather our relationship with one another in the body of Christ is members interconnected and glued together. That's God's purpose for us. This is God's purpose for us. And in fact, when uh, we are connected to each other, not easily pulled apart from one another, this is where real Christian maturity takes place. When we treat our church community as expendable, as consumers, we not only dishonor the body of Christ, 
but we also bypass the maturity that God intends us to have. You see, maturity takes place when we have a covenant relationship with one another rather than a consumer or convenience relationship with one another. We are called to treasure one another in the body of Christ the way that Jesus treasures us. We're called to be faithful to one another just as he is faithful to us. And when we do that for years and decades, that's where true growth and maturity begins to take place. Third point is this. Paul wants us to think about ourselves as gifted by God for the good of others. According to Paul, everyone has been gifted by God for a purpose. He says this, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If it's prophecy in proportion to our faith, etc., etc. Paul assumes that nobody in the congregation sits the bench. Paul does not believe that there is a spiritual appendix in the body of Christ, meaning a member with no purpose except to cause pain, right? Um, there's no appendix in the body of Christ, but every member has a vital role. And Paul ties that to this word grace. In fact, in your Romans journal, you might want to just write this, that the word gift, as in spiritual gift, and the word grace come from the same root. The word grace, charis, is, is connected to the word gift, charisma, where we get the word charismatic, meaning gifted. Those words are together because God in his grace freely gives gifts of grace to his people so that they might be a gift to one another. Now, I want you to note a couple of things about these gifts. We have a list of gifts like prophecy and service, exhortation, leading, generosity, etc. This list that Paul gives of spiritual gifts is not comprehensive. Uh, there are other lists that we get from like Ephesians chapter 4 or 1 Corinthians chapter 12. You'll note that a lot of the gifts that we think of as like charismatic spiritual gifts, like speaking in tongues and miraculous healings, actually aren't mentioned here. Um, so this is not a complete list. And note also that some of these gifts are exercised publicly. So for example, right now, I am publicly exercising the gift of teaching you and exhorting you. But some of the gifts are exercised really behind the scenes. But all of the gifts are essential. All of the gifts join together to build up the body of Christ. An image that comes to mind as I think about the different members working toward one goal in the body of Christ is our church softball league this, this past summer. I had so much fun playing softball uh, this past summer. It's like one of those sports that you can play as you're getting close to 40 and hopefully you don't hurt yourself, right? Um, but it was a blast. And one of the things I appreciated about the softball team is as we played more games together, it was neat to see how each person had their gift. Like nobody had all the gifts. Uh, some people were, were single hitters. Some people had a really careful eye uh, to get the walk and get on base. Some people were great runners. Some people can do things I could never do, like hit home runs. But we all depended upon each other. Uh, 
Like, for example, I cannot play infield. If I were placed in the infield, I will always overthrow or underthrow first base, which would not be an advantage. Um, so my place is in left field. I'll just stay there and serve my purpose. Uh, not all of us were gifted in the same ways, but when we were gifted together, it was really a beautiful thing. But if you can think about us as a team, as the church as a team with different gifts and how we rely on one another, what happens when individual members don't show up? What happens when it's time to go up to bat and where is that person? They're not here, right? That hinders the work that God has given us to do in the body of Christ where every member has a gift and a role. I don't know about you, but have you ever been sitting in one position for a while, like at the doctor's office? Maybe, like me, you sit with your, your ankle on your knee, and you sit there for about 15 minutes, and then at the doctor's appointment, they say, it's your turn, and you get up, and you're like, oh no, my right leg's asleep. And then you have to apologize, like, hold on, <laughs> I'll get there and you stumble over and say, I'm not injured, I just, my foot fell asleep. Um, you've been in that scenario, right? Or imagine that you're playing softball, you're sitting in the dugout, and it's your turn to get up to bat, and you get up and you're like, hold on, <laughs> I can't get there because my leg's asleep. Give me about a minute and a half. That's kind of, I think, the, the place that many churches are in after 2020. So, of course, 2020 was so disruptive to us and continues to be disruptive, but, you know, I think that many members forgot that they have a role, a very real role. And so when God calls us to do what he's called us to do, we as the body of Christ here at Holy Cross, we get up off the bench, but if some of the members are not fulfilling their roles, it's like the leg has fallen asleep and we limp and we're not able to accomplish what God has given us to do. In fact, we may even put all of the pressure on one member of the body. We may say the pastors or the staff or the elders, those are the people who are gonna move the body forward rather than all the members together. Friends, that is the way that God intends the body to work. We all have equally important roles. We strive in those roles together. So my prayer for our congregation is that God would, by his Holy Spirit, restore circulation to those members who have not been using their gift, that the Holy Spirit would renew our commitment to serving, because when we give and we serve and we strive together as one body for God's mission, it shows that we really understand the gospel, that the gospel isn't just a theory that goes in one ear and out the other, but that we have really understood it and embraced it, and it makes a difference in how we live. Friends, what would it look like if every member of Holy Cross took a posture of service? Not a consumer attitude of showing up to church and saying, what am I gonna get? And it's not wrong to show up to church and have our hands open to receive. That's one of the reasons we come, to receive nourishment. But from that nourishment that God gives you, is it not God's purpose that we would not just say, what's in it for me, but how can I serve others? 
Wouldn't that be a beautiful thing? To know I am, as a baptized believer in Christ, filled with this Holy Spirit, and I am gifted for the purpose of building up this body of believers in particular. Friends, that's a beautiful thing. You may not know what your gift is. In fact, I don't think you actually need to know what spiritual gift you have in order to use it. Sometimes we don't even know we have the gift, but we use it our whole lives. The main point is that we use it. A couple opportunities we have coming up in the life of our church. One is just to take a look at this uh, Getting Connected pamphlet we have for the fall uh, that we got in the mail. It's out there in the narthex to just really look at this and say, where can I grow, but also where can I serve the body of Christ? We're in a couple weeks, we're going to be having our church family reunion, and one of the purposes of that is not just to get together and be together as the body of Christ, but to hear about different ministries and find ways that we can be connected for the benefit of the body. So I would say that this is the next step to take for you and me. You may not know what your gift is, but the next step is for you and me as God's beloved children is to say, what, how might God use me to build up this body of Christ here? may not know the exact answer, but maybe it begins with you just showing up to church, not just to get something, but to say, how can I give? How can I be with other Christians, not just to be encouraged, but to encourage them and build them up? May God grant us his Holy Spirit that he would work that in us. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you and we praise you for the beautiful blessing of being in the body of Christ and for the the joy it is to be in communion and fellowship with one another. And we pray that you would send your Holy Spirit anew and afresh into each of our hearts and minds to bind us together in love for one another, in covenant commitment to one another, that we would truly serve one another as Christ has served us. Accomplish this in us, O God, by your might and strength and to our great joy. In Jesus' name, amen.